Well, today in our message, we're going to be talking about this word, the word miracle. Now, if you're someone who lives in Minnesota and have heard this word at least over the last three years or so, you might add a word or two to the beginning of it as you think of the word miracle, the Minneapolis miracle. (laughs) For those of you who don't know what that is, it, well, is a term that came from a Viking playoff game a few years ago where they were losing to the New Orleans Saints down to the very last play. The end zone is a far, far distance away. They're not in field goal range. And Case Keenum throws a pass And I think we have a picture. Stefan Diggs jumps high to catch the ball. Marcus Williams, the Saints safety, jumps low and misses an easy tackle. And the result? Well, if you're a Viking fan, you know the result. The result was a 61-yard touchdown reception, and the Vikings win the playoff game on the very last play. Now, It was an amazing play. It was absolutely unbelievable. And I still remember some North Cross attendees actually having video of themselves crying tears of joy after this happened. But was this a miracle? Part of me wonders whether God cares that much about NFL football. I I don't think so. So what is a miracle. It's good for us to think about because I think sometimes we probably assign that word to things that aren't really miracles or amazing special acts of God in our lives. Um, was the Stefan Diggs touchdown a miracle or was it just that Marcus Williams made a very bad play on that particular pass? Is it a miracle that you got a parking spot near the front doors on the busiest day of the year? Or did you just happen to time things right? Is it a miracle that you passed your AP test? Or did you have just enough knowledge in your head so that you're able to eke out a passing grade? Was it a miracle that Carrie said yes to marry me? Or... Yeah, that pretty much was a miracle, and I'm thankful for it. But it's good for us to think about what is a miracle, because if we assign miracle, special act of God, to everything that happens in our lives, we're making an assumption that we know exactly what God is up to in our lives. So here's a definition to work with. A miracle. It's an outcome or an event that can't be explained by a bad tackler or a natural or scientific law and is therefore considered to be the work of God. Do miracles still happen? Is God still working miracles in this world and in our lives? Absolutely. God is a God of miracles. And I love how Paul puts it 
in one of his letters where he writes, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or all that we could imagine. There's something about that that just makes me feel comfort. And at the very same time, we're encouraged in more than one place in the Bible that to this God of miracles, we can bring every prayer and every petition. It's an amazing blessing to know that Jesus is our miracle worker, that God is a God who can do anything and everything. He created the laws of nature so he can do really whatever he wants. So as you think about that, I have a question for you. What, what would you do if you could do anything you wanted to do? What would you do if you could do miracles? thought a lot about that question this week. And what my answers continually came back to was some semblance of this. I would make my earthly life better. I would, with a snap of a finger, get rid of some of those extra inches around my uh, stomach area and reclaim uh, the abs that I lost in my early 20s without trying hard at all. Just, you know, I would do a miracle. I would turn my uh, Mazda 5 into a brand new Land Cruiser. Always wanted one of those. Just, I, I can do any, I'd make my life better. Maybe on a more serious note, I have a, a lot of friends and family members who are struggling, who are suffering. I would... Uh, get rid of their cancer. I would heal their dementia. Um, I would help them you know, with their mental health issues and just give them their confidence or their, their, their joy back. And you know, there were some people in my life that I'm kind of missing because you know, the way that I think, God took them out of this life too early, too quickly, too soon. I, I, would, I would bring them back. What would you do if you could do anything you wanted to do? I bet you have a long list. And for us, it can seem so obvious. We know what we would do. And yet, that's precisely why sometimes this is an area that we struggle when it comes to our faith relationship with God. Because God can do anything he wants to do. And yet the thing that I've been asking for, the thing that we've been asking for, he isn't doing. And it seems so obvious to us. Get rid of the cancer, cure COVID, help people who are hurting. It seems so obvious and it leads to a very real and important question that we absolutely need to talk about in church and address. It's our first fill-in for today. If Jesus is a miracle worker, why isn't he doing a miracle in my life? If Jesus can do anything, if God can do anything with a snap of a finger, well then, why doesn't he just do it? We're going to spend some time unpacking that 
digging into it. And what we're going to talk about a little bit are two things. We're, we're going to talk about the reason God does miracles. We're going to talk a little bit about um, why is there pain and suffering and difficulty in this world. And to do that, we're going to turn to one of the biographies of Jesus. This was written by one of Jesus' best friends while he was here on earth. His name was John. He was one of the 12 disciples. And towards the end of John's life, he... uh, wrote kind of a history, an account of all the things, or many of the things, I should say, that he saw and experienced while he was with Jesus. And near the end of Jesus' earthly life, there was a miracle that he did that I think gives us some great direction as we consider Jesus our miracle worker today. comes from John chapter 9. Let's read some of the verses. Verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So first of all, I want you to just think about the situation for this man. Um, I don't know that I've really thought about how difficult being blind would be. I think we all take for granted the amazing blessing of our eyesight Think about if you never had seen anything. You don't know what your parents look like. You don't know what your house looks like. You don't know what people talk about, a a sunset or a sunrise. You have no idea. They talk about orange and red and blue and green. You have no concept of it because you've been blind from birth. The other thing that would have been difficult is in first century Israel, there weren't the you know, governmental services, or even I would say the empathy of society for people who had disabilities like this. And so his entire life consisted of begging for food for that day, sitting in the town, unable to see anything, begging people for food and maybe for some money. The other thing that he struggled with most definitely, was something that came from a societal stigma. We kind of see it in the question that's asked here. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, there was this very real Jewish stigma that if someone had a disability or if someone struggled with leprosy or paralysis or something, that it was always directly connected to something bad that they did in their life. And for a man born blind, you know, was it the man that did something wrong or was it his parents that did something while this man was even in the womb? Why does suffering happen? Or maybe a better question, why does suffering happen to you? I'm not going to be able to give you maybe the specific answer that you're looking for, but I, I do think we can unpack this just a little bit to help you think through some things that you've been struggling with. So I'm going to think about things from two different perspectives. The first when it comes to suffering is this, that sometimes our behavior will have obvious consequences. So 
If you speed all the time, you might have to suffer through at some point a speeding ticket. That's not because you didn't go to church that week and God is punishing you. It's because you were speeding and it's against the law. Um, If you smoke your entire life or have some other sort of bad health habit, it's not that God is, you know, punishing you that you have lung disease later in life. Sometimes our behavior will have obvious consequences. If, If we don't invest in our marriages in that relationship, should it surprise us later or even in the, in the meantime, that our relationships are not as, as strong as what we would like them to be. Now, our behavior will, will have, at times, obvious consequences. But where I see sometimes people getting into trouble with this is when the consequences are not obvious. And I find some people get very focused in on What did I do in order for this to happen? What did I do? What is God trying to to punish me for that all of these things happen? I've even run into people that do that with like red lights. If they hit a bunch of red lights, it's like God is mad at me that he's, he's making me late. Can you, can you just think about for a moment or imagine how far off this could take you if, you're, if you've got that kind of mindset? You know, the burger wasn't good. God is mad at me. We need to dispel that type of thinking. You know why the burger wasn't good? Do you know why there's pain and suffering in this world? It's not because God is trying to punish you. It's because there's sin in the world. Sin in general will cause suffering in general. Or to put it this way, sin in the world will cause there to be suffering in the world. And whether you are living your life in a way that God would just admire, none of us are perfect. This world certainly isn't perfect. And so there will be things that happen in this world. And it's not necessarily that God is trying to punish you. In fact, I want you to take heart about this. Do you know what it meant when Jesus on the cross said, Tetelestai, it is finished? It means that in that moment, Jesus had suffered the punishment for every single sin. No longer is God controlling traffic lights to in some way make you suffer. (laughs) Jesus took it all upon himself. And yes, sometimes certain decisions we make will have obvious consequences, but that is not how God works when it comes to giving us suffering for every little thing that we do. Jesus took that on himself. And so that's what Jesus says here, and he opens the disciples' minds to something else that we need to think about when it comes to his work and his plan in life. So he answers the question this way. 
neither his parents nor neither this man or his parents sinned. We just, we just talked through this. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Can I open your mind to something? As much as Jesus loves you, and it's an amazing kind of love, as much as he loves you, the world doesn't revolve around you. As much as Jesus loves me, and it's an amazing love, the world doesn't revolve around me either. And what, what Jesus is opening the disciples' minds to here, what Jesus is opening our minds to 2,000 years later, the way that we need to view life and remember is that there's something bigger going on. There's something bigger going on than just us. And, and, and that's really important to think about. Let me give you an example of how this is true in a different area of life. Um, not so long ago, I, I watched a pretty good documentary called uh, Free Burma Rangers. I don't know if some of you um, maybe have seen this, but essentially uh, what it is, is it's, it's chronicling um, a guy named David Eubank. Uh, I have a picture of him here, who uh, was a former army ranger and took on a great love and a heart for the country of Burma in Asia. I don't know if you knew this, but the longest lasting civil war in our world right now is in the country of Burma in um, Eastern Asia. And what this documentary showed is his organization, Free Burma Rangers, that what they do is they're essentially a human humanitarian effort and they look for people who have been wounded or who have been hurt or who are malnourished or who are in danger in or around Burma as this civil war is going on. And over the last, I think it's about 20 years, they've helped save um, thousands of people. Now, as important as David Eubank is, and as many people as he's helped, he's just a subplot to a much bigger and in many ways disheartening story that's going on over there in Burma. There's good things happening here, but there's a much bigger story of this 70-year civil war. And the same thing is true in our lives. There's something bigger going on. There's something bigger going on in our lives. There's something bigger going on in this world. And we need to remember that. We need to think about that when we pray for the miracle that just doesn't seem to be happening, where it seems so obvious to us. And if God is love, well, why isn't the thing I'm asking for happening? Let's go back to the verse. It says this. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed. Or I'm going to 
Fast forward to a different section of scripture. This was right before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knew what he was going to be doing. And here's what he says in John chapter 11. This sickness of Lazarus will not end in death. No, I'm going to do a miracle. Why? Because I really want Lazarus around longer. I mean, Jesus was going to see Lazarus in heaven. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. I think a lot of things in life will make more sense, and it won't give us the specifics, but they will make more sense as to what God might be up to when we recognize number two fill-in, that there's a bigger story, and it's not about our glory or our good earthly life or to make life better. It's about God's glory. There's a bigger story, and it's about God's glory. And you know, when Jesus did a miracle in the first century, there was a certain amount of glory that he received as he did this amazing thing. When things happen in Christians' lives that no law of nature could explain, and we're pretty sure it was a miracle as this, this family or these, these people prayed and prayed about it. Sometimes God decides, um, that's how I'm going to lead people to give glory to me in this situation. I'm, I'm going to do a miracle in their lives. But do you know when I've noticed that I've received the most amount of encouragement and point my heart and my mind to Jesus. It's when people are, sometimes it's myself, but mostly when it's, when it's been people who have going, been going through struggle, who have been going through hardship, who have been praying and praying. They're not getting exactly the miracle that they're asking for, and yet their faith. Is just amazing that through it, they are giving glory to God. There's a bigger story. It's about God's glory. And sometimes God gets the glory through a miracle happening that he gives. And sometimes, and sometimes even greater, God is given glory through Christians and God followers, Jesus followers, who give him the glory in the midst of difficulty. You see, great difficulty can be a great opportunity to bring God glory. And I have example after example in these last 17 years of ministry of people at this church who, through their difficulty, gave God the glory. I think of a phone call I just had a couple days ago with a friend of mine, a member here named Tim Andre, and how he's going through cancer treatment. And in that phone call, I could not help but hear him giving God glory and trust, even in the midst of the treatments that he's going through. 
I think of a, a lady many years ago named Martha Harstad, who was a member here in her 90s, just an amazing woman of God. I remember feeling intimidated uh, when she would come to Bible class, because I'd be like, I think, Martha, you need to come up here and teach, and I'll just you know, listen to you. And when it became clear that God was calling her from this life, I still remember the report from a nurse at the hospital that said, yeah, there's this family here. There's about 10 in the room and they're all gathered together singing hymns to Jesus even as Martha is leaving this world. You see, Great difficulty can be a great opportunity to bring God glory. And I'm not saying that you should, you know, stop praying for the miracle or that you should, you know, pray for more difficult so you can, difficulty so you can give God more glory. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there's a bigger story. The world does not revolve around us. And in the midst of miracles happening or God deciding not to, there's an opportunity to give him glory. Let's go back to the verses. Verse four says this. Jesus is now continuing his response to the disciples. And he says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. This life is about God. It's about his glory. Night is coming when no one can work. And so while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. It's about Jesus, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. And as much as he loves us, I've said this already, it's not about us, right? Verse six, after saying this, he spit on the ground. I think this is the only reference to Jesus spitting in the entire New Testament, okay? He did it for a reason, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes, which if you think that's weird, I agree with you, a little weird. Never done that, don't know that I ever will, but go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. The word Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Can you imagine? I was trying to put myself here again in the shoes of this man as he probably goes to the pool with a little bit of suspicion and yet he still goes and then he washes that Jesus saliva mud off his eyes and he cracks those eyes open to see light for the very first time and colors in the face of his loved ones. What an amazing moment and what an amazingly powerful God and Savior we have. And there's a part of us, as we're waiting for a miracle, that can be a little bit envious of this man born blind in the sense of why, why him? I don't know the specific answer to why some miracles and why not others. We, we talked about how God is glorified through every answer, but we still might have this question. If Jesus is a miracle worker, why isn't he doing a miracle in my life? You know, this is one of seven miracles that John sort of organizes 
his gospel or his biography of Jesus around. And one of the words that is used over and over is not the word miracle, but John uses the word translated in the English sign. Not miracles, although they were. He uses the word sign. And once again, we come into uh, direct sort of uh, knowledge of this truth, that Jesus' miracles were not about the miracles. I mean, I'm sure Jesus had some joy later in the day seeing this man born blind now walking around being able to see, but it wasn't about the man getting his eyesight back. And I'm sure Jesus enjoyed being able to feed thousands of people with just a little bit of food, but it wasn't about a free lunch. What was it about? It wasn't about making their lives better because the blind man, you know, his eyes aren't working right now. On the last day, they'll work again, but... Things that Jesus fixed here on earth, they don't, they don't stay fixed necessarily, those, those physical things. What was it about? Well, at the end of John's biography, he tells us what it was about. It has to do with God's glory. We talked about that. But very specifically with Jesus, here's what John writes. Jesus performed many other signs, many other miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. Remember these signs, these miracles, that you may have hope that Jesus will take away your diseases. It's not how it goes. But these are written that you may understand that Jesus came away, came to take away your earthly problems. You know, you just need to have more faith. You just need to believe more. It's not what it says. It says, these are written that you may simply but powerfully believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And that by believing your earthly life may not be better It's not why Jesus came, but that by believing you may have a different type of life and ultimately an eternal life through his name. You see, if I could do anything I'd want to do, I am so focused on myself that I would use my miracle power to make my life better. But Jesus, who could do anything he wanted to do, did not come to make our earthly lives better. He came to do something better for us. And because Jesus is the Messiah, because he is the Christ, whether you're getting your miracle or it feels like you're not, I want you to know this, that Jesus is enough for you. He's enough. For whatever situation or circumstance you're in right now, because he is the Messiah, because he is your Christ, he is enough. Jesus is enough when everything is going wonderfully and people in your house are healthy and happy. Jesus is enough when it feels like your world is imploding on itself 
And it's hard to even get through the day. And how do I know that? Because Jesus is our miracle worker. And the miracle that I know that he did in your life is the biggest and the best one there would ever be. You think giving sight to the blind was good? You think walking on water was amazing? You haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to allow people who hate me, I'm going to allow them to kill me. And then when it seems like all hope is lost and my closest friends are huddled in a room with the doors locked, I'm going to knock on the door or actually just show up in the room. And I'm going to show them that death has no power over me. And because of that, death has no power over you either. Jesus is your amazing miracle worker, and you are the product of the most amazing miracle there ever was. Number four, Jesus' resurrection did more than any other miracle can do. The miracle you're hoping for, the miracle you've been praying for, it could change your circumstances here on earth. And that would be an awesome thing. This miracle, Jesus' resurrection, it doesn't change just your circumstances. It, it changes everything. It changes your identity. It changes your purpose. It changes your relationship with God. It gives us hope even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Jesus, our miracle worker, has done an amazing miracle in our lives and it changes everything. So what's our application for today? Maybe you've been wishing and hoping that God would do a miracle in your life. I want you to know that God is listening to you and he hears your prayers and petitions. And I want you to know that you have a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or imagine and keep praying about it. Keep asking him, keep coming to him. But as you do, could I ask you to shift your thinking just a little bit? Can I ask you as, as you come to Jesus with your miracles, requests, to trust Trust that he knows what he's doing. Trust that there's a bigger story. Trust that he's going to lead things, that whether he answers it the way you ask or doesn't, that it's ultimately an opportunity to give him the glory. Trust that you have a miracle worker who has already done the greatest miracle 
he could ever do in your life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you invite us to talk to you, to bring to you the things that are on our hearts and, and minds. And, and Lord, sometimes there's a heaviness to life that um, we all experience because we live in a, in a sinful world. Lord, as, as we bring those requests to you, we, we pray that you would um, keep the promises that you have, and, and that is that you love us, that you're going to give us strength to endure. And then, Lord, I pray that instead of us trying to change your mind, that you would instead, through prayer, change our hearts, that we might, through it, have a peace that comes with just trusting you and knowing that you've already done an amazing miracle in our life. And now you're going to give us what we need as you continue to work in and through our lives. We pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.